I used to, uh, before pastoral ministry, I used to work, uh, m- many of you know this, for a United States senator, and I worked in, a, in his Senate office. And, you know, as an office, we did, we did a number of things, um, uh, you know, just for constituents. But, but one of the things that we would do is people would write in, and this senator, I mean, tens of thousands of people would write, you know, every year. And, and every person that wrote needed to get a sort of personal letter back from the senator, right? That was one of the, the jobs. So there'd be people who'd write in, and it didn't matter what, why you wrote. You could, you could love them. You could hate them. Vote this way. You could have this big idea that was going to save America, or it could be, you know, one sentence, 30 pages. It didn't matter. Everybody was getting a personal letter back from the senator. There were so many. It was almost comical. There were so many, like, thank yous for the thank yous that you sent. I mean, it was just sort of this, this thing that we did. And not to disillusion anybody, but he actually didn't hand write back like 30,000 letters a year. But we had just sort of these form letters that you just pull off the computer and just sort of print out. And, and all the, so it didn't matter. So for, you know, tens of thousands of letters and the wide variety, every letter sounded the exact same, right? They began the same way. They ended the same way. There might be like two lines in the middle that were slightly different, but every letter was the same. And, you know, it was all about how we value your input, and together, you know, because of your ideas, we're going to make, you know, America and Virginia a better place to live, work, and raise a family, and we're just going to keep building these United States, and just blah, 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 right? I mean, it was just sort of this, this sort of just string of words that sounded good together. And I'm not sure if you've ever read something like this, if you've ever read a piece of mail, you know, often from politicians, and you're like, all right, you're just kind of throwing out some phrases, right? Or you just you know, just sort of, or you'll read something, you're like, okay, there's one meaty part that I want to read, but the rest seems kind of inconsequential. I'm sure you've, you know, read something like that, and you know, how often in school do you sort of, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this one section, but just sort of skim the rest of the material, or, you know, news, you know, news articles are written so that you put the, you know, the most important things in the beginning, and then you can just sort of skim towards the end. Now, I know none of us would do that with scripture, but we know because we know every word of it matters. But at the same time, when you know through the book of Colossians, we have been through the heights of just the supremacy of Christ and the heights of His atoning work and how the gospel transforms us and every piece of us and all we do. And I wonder if you could kind of come to the end and be a little tempted to just sort of you know you see the just even see the heading in your Bible probably says something like personal greetings or final greetings and. And maybe it can just feel a little less important than the rest or a little less consequential than the rest of the book. And if, you can, if you can be tempted to feel like that in any way, I just want to encourage you that Paul doesn't waste a single word in this book and in this letter. And what he, in this section, it's not just sort of some greetings from church to church, but it's really the fruit of gospel ministry in display in his church. But it's not just the fruit of gospel ministry and display at his church. It it is what is possible in our lives, in our church. This this section really is the fruit of the daily dominion of Christ at work in a church. So the main idea we're going to look at this morning is genuine gospel ministry produces genuine gospel fruit. Genuine gospel ministry produces genuine gospel fruit. But this is far more than just sort of some closing greetings or some personal greetings. This is the effect of the gospel in display in this church, and it's how it can be in effect at our church as well. And so Paul in this passage really paints just a a picture of a a real-life church and how the gospel has been transformative and how the gospel can be transformative in our midst as well. So with that, let's read verses 7 through the end of the chapter. 
Tychicus will tell, you about all, will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onomasis, our brother and beloved brother, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristocharis, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that he may that you may stand mature and fully assured in, the will of, in all the will of God. Verse 13, For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read to the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read from... I see that you also read the letter from Laodicea and say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Verse 18, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Great grace be with you. So again, main theme is gospel, genuine gospel ministry produces genuine gospel fruit. I want to look at five fruits of gospel ministry. So we're going to have five points this morning. Five fruits of gospel ministry that we see in this greeting and how they are not only in this church then, but how they would be in our church today. So the first thing that we see is gospel ministry overcomes barriers. Gospel ministry overcomes barriers. You know, to us, reading this in the 21st century, largely this probably sounded like just a list of names, and like, okay, you know, th this person was greeting, this person was saying hi, and, you know, sort of filling in on how people have been doing in some sort of general way. It's just going to sound like a personal update. But if you were in this church at this time, this is more than just a list of friends who are sort of saying hi, but there's sort of, there's the, the effect that God has had on their life is just sort of on full display. Recently, I, I got dinner with, with a friend of mine from, from our previous church and just you know, catching up about how different folks were doing. And when we were catching up on different folks, one of, one of the things that, that happened is because you're aware that you, when you've been walking with people for a long time and you've been in the same community with them for a long time and you've just sort of seen the transformation that takes place, when you hear an update, it's more than just like sort of information, but it has an effect on your heart, right? So there's, you know, getting filled in on, you know, how somebody's, you know, a particular child was doing and just recognize, you know, we've been walking with these parents for a year and now to see these, you know, this child flourishing, it has this effect like, oh yeah, like this, that's, that's so cool to see. And you talking about somebody else that was stepping into a, a position of leadership in the church and you're remembering back when, I mean, I remember when they were brand new at the church and were strangers and nobody knew them and now here they are like stepping into leadership, right? And you just, you hear these updates and something stirred in my heart of just like, boy, like God's been just at work and he's been transforming sort of the, the, the people in this church. And, and you've probably heard an update like that. That's more than just a personal update, but you hear, you know, an update of, you know, missionaries or, you know, our friends from Italy or from Thailand or whatever it would be. And you're sort of like, it's not just sort of, I'm hearing greetings. I'm, I'm aware as I hear this of the struggle that they've been through, of how sort of hard something was, that they were walking through real life difficulties 
But here they are, standing firm in the grace of God. This isn't just an update, but boy, the way that God has brought them through barriers and difficulties. Well, here, these aren't just a list of names, but this is sort of the, the, how the gospel has been transformative in their midst and sort of the barriers that these individuals faced, how, how the gospel has produced sort of growth in their life. So you have Onimaeus, right? And he is, he is a, a former slave. So he, he is a, a slave, and even in his status now, he's sort of, he is sort of like an outlaw, and he's sort of on the run from, from, from being a slave. And, but, but how is he talked about here? He's talked about here as an equal in the church, as a servant, and as a, as a brother, as, as one of us. And so his identity being here talked about isn't as former slave, but as child of God, as by grace, he's, he's one of us, and he is with us. And it talks about Mark, this is the same Mark who we read about in the same Mark be the same Mark who we read about in Acts 15 as John Mark, who had sharp who, who sort of there was a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas over this man, and sort of there was sort of this this sort of what could have been this ministry ending sort of severing because of sort of who this guy was, and just the concern of how do we deal with this sort of separation in the ministry. And there, there, was this, there was this separation between John, Mark, and, and, and Paul sort of in Acts 15. And yet here he is, he's back. And he's being faithful to the gospel. And he's being fruitful in the gospel. And then we have Aristocharis, and we see here that, that he was in prison, right? I mean, there was the barrier that just the obvious barrier and the obvious sort of opposition that being in jail represents. And sort of like, okay, you heard about how he was in jail. Great. Hear of this also, that he's being faithful and he's pressing on. There's an obvious barrier. He, he mentions these men who are, who are the men of circumcision, that there's these three men here. What barrier did they face? Well, they are the only three, that, 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 that phraseology would mean that they, are, that they are Jewish and that they're the only sort of three Jews that are sort of accompanying Paul in this mission to the Gentile churches and to the Gentile world. And so they just face much opposition through that and much, many barriers through that. But here they are with Paul, standing with the church, preaching the gospel of grace. It says above Paphras that he is always, it's not just that he's laboring on your behalf or working on your behalf, it's that he's always struggling on your behalf, that it's been hard work, that he struggles, that he toils, but here he is. He's gone city after city, toiling in struggle for the gospel, but yet here he is being fruitful. And then he closes the letter, just to kind of one more reminder of, of, of the barriers that they have faced throughout this. He just says one more time, just remember my chains, that I have been a man who is in prison again for the gospel, that there has just been barriers, there has been opposition, there has been struggle. The work has been hard, but the gospel is producing fruit. There are barriers that will obviously come up whenever Whenever the gospel is proclaimed, whenever the gospel is, 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 is it advancing, barriers will arise, but through the barriers, the church will be built. So it's very clear that barriers are not a sign of, of the gospel not advancing, but, bar but, but, but the gospel overcomes barriers. One of the, I just encourage you, if you're, if you're a member here, probably you recently got a, a new kind of membership directory or, you know, kind of the the contact sheet for all the members. I would just encourage you sometimes, just to, for, your, for the good of your own soul to inform your prayers, but just to start thinking through the names on that list and just think, boy, what? Some of the personal barriers that they have faced, some of the, 
some, some of the gospel community barriers that have been faced. But yet here, here we all are standing together. Here, here's been opposition to the church. Here's been opposition to sort of this person's life. But here we are together standing for proclaiming the gospel. The gospel is bearing fruit. And just to remind yourself, boy, as I think about this person, I think of some of the battles that they have walked through, some of the opposition that they have walked through. Even praying for the McMahons this morning, right? Just the, the barriers and opposition, the, the difficulties that they have walked through. And just this faithful gospel proclamation, the, the way that the gospel is transforming lives. So the gospel doesn't require an easy path or a smooth road. It certainly does not promise one. There will be moments when we face barriers where it will feel like it's not working. But I think what we see here is as you preach the gospel, God will bring fruit and the gospel will overcome barriers. Second thing we see is this, is that gospel ministry brings diversity. Gospel ministry brings diversity. At a personal level, I would just say I love diversity. I would love for us as a church to experience more diversity. I, I hope in the future that we, as we continue to grow and be about our mission, that we have more people of different races and ethnicities, that we have a wider variety of backgrounds, both spiritually and economically, that we have a, a wider array of ages, not because it's sort of trendy right now and because that's sort of something, you know, that's hot in the you know, church world right now, but because it better reflects the community that we are called to serve, that we're here to serve, and it is very much at the heart of God. But, but I want to be clear, diversity is, is a work of God, not of man. But here we see that God has, as the gospel has been proclaimed, that, that we see a church full of diversity. But not only that we see a church is full of diversity, we see that the way diversity happened, the way that diversity sort of came about was, was by preaching the gospel to everyone, to all the people in these communities, and, and having the gospel tear down these walls that humanity often builds. It. We see the gospel tore down walls of race and gender and economics. Because the gospel finds humanity, it, that the gospel proclaims that all of humanity is in equal need, and the gospel proclaims that all, that the, that all people have equal hope and life through the gospel. So how do we see diversity here? Well, we hear, as we already mentioned, we have this, we have a former slave and we, have free, and we have free men and women, and they are here together as one people. We have, so he says, the men of circumcision, meaning we have Jews in a church full of Gentiles, and here they are worshiping together. And we have these churches that he's referencing in different cities, that we have these churches just full of love for one another, right? So we have a church in Colossae and Laodicea, which are churches in very different circumstances, very different cultures, very different economies, and here they are with one purpose and with one passion. And he mentions you have Nympha and the church that meets in her house. So the culture in this day would not have valued or esteemed women. They often weren't even allowed to testify in court because they were considered so reliable. And while some citizens did have some rights, they certainly had far less than men. They were, they were second-class citizens in every way. And so you would sort of say to the church, okay, the growth strategy, if you're sort of thinking of how do we, how do we grow most effectively, it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't be, hey, meet at her house, because that'll really say something to culture, right? No, it would be, no, no, don't meet over there. Like, meet at, like, the most publicly sort of accepted way. And yet, here they meet, and the, growth, and the church grows and prospers, and because the, 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 the gospel is just tearing down these walls, that, 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 uh, the, tearing down the walls of human division. And so in one little snapshot, Paul, Paul 
So you get this little snapshot of the church, and, and nobody, Paul's not staging it sort of like the way a politician would. I'll oh, make sure to include, you know, put these people front and center, make sure to throw in that name so I sound more inclusive and diverse. You just, he's not doing that, but in one little snapshot you get of the church, you just see that the diversity is on full display because the gospel tears down walls because only the gospel is strong enough to, to tear down these walls that are so often divisive in man. And we are not promised in 21st century America in a largely divided America. I don't, I don't believe that every gospel preaching and gospel faithful church will be diverse in every way. We're not, we're not promised that. Not every church is promised that. But, but, but as we lean in towards that, as we, as we long to see that, as we pray for that, let's just recognize that there's no better place to start and nothing else will ultimately last than gospel proclamation and gospel transformation. So again, the main point is gospel, genuine gospel ministry produces genuine gospel fruit. The third thing we see is this, gospel ministry takes risks. Gospel ministry takes risks. So we saw that there were sort of some personal risks that Paul took that he's in jail again. So he's, so he's recognizing that as he proclaims the gospel, he may end up in jail and he takes that rat risks anyway. But we see a lot of other just sort of risks that, that, that the church is taking and that Paul is taking in the life of the church. So again, we have Onimaeus, who is this slave. Now, if you're, we'll talk more about him in, in the book of Philemon next week, but he's in this odd state of he had run away from, from, his, from his Christian owner, and he is now sort of appealing to Paul for help. So Paul would like him to help in his ministry, but you have this odd situation where he sort of Paul's being asked to address this situation of this runaway slave, which was very much illegal in that day. So slaves didn't have rights. They couldn't run away. And so he's looking to step in this situation where you have this runaway slave, but the man who was his, his former master is, is a member of one of these churches that Paul deals with. And so they're both appealing to Paul and sort of saying, okay, what do we What's it look like, this situation? And Paul's stepping into this very loaded situation. You could imagine this is the type of situation that could just tear a church apart. That would get tricky to say the least, right? That you would have sort of, I mean, not just hurt feelings. I mean, you, you have somebody in this situation naturally will just feel wronged. And the book of Philemon is about what does reconciliation look like, and that's going to be next week. But this is just risky in every way right? And you say, okay, well, you know, this is really more of a political question, so let's just let the legislature, you know, no, they don't deal, okay, let the courts deal with it. No, that's not what they do. We have the, the reconciling wisdom of God. We have the cross of Jesus Christ. We have a church on a mission, so, so let's talk about what reconciliation and brotherhood and unity really look like in this situation, and let's take all the risk because the gospel, because the gospel speaks to this. And you, as I mentioned, you have this man, John Mark. John Mark was a man who hurt Paul, who, in Acts 15, it cost Paul dearly. It cost him Barnabas. It was one of these setbacks that almost could have been ministry ending at a human level. It was real step, I mean, it was real setback. It wasn't just sort of, he stepped on Paul's toes, and Paul's a sensitive guy. This wasn't that. This was real hurt. This is ministry-breaking kind of fallout. This is, this is what this relationship and this man represented. And now here he is, back in the church. He's restored to Paul, 
And Paul's just saying, basically, we're going to do it again. We're going to walk life together despite all that's happened in the past because that's what the gospel does. See, the gospel isn't, you know, I got hurt by this person, so this person needs to be over there. The gospel is not denying, you know, it's sort of saying, well, you know, it didn't really hurt that much. It probably shouldn't have hurt that much. The gospel doesn't deny pain. The gospel sort of recognizes, no, sin hurts, and sin has a fallout. That's why we have the gospel. So let's embrace the gospel and keep walking together. And takes the risk of just the risk. I mean, you just see sacrifice after sacrifice and all the risk that that sacrifice represents, right? You've got people from this church leaving to go to that church and just sort of uprooting their lives and going from one location to the other and all the risk associated with that. You've got this church meeting at this woman's house. And by the way, Paul's not keeping her identity a secret. He's not keeping their location a secret. They could come and seize, the government could come in and seize this at any moment. They decide they don't want the church to meet there anymore. At very minimum, you got this woman who, you know, every, every week and more than at this time, more than every week, but just about every day, you have people coming in, eating her food, kids running around, knocking over her vase. And sort of if the goal was sort of like, boy, I don't want to get hurt here. I don't want to be at any risk here. It's not going to work. But the goal was that the gospel would be proclaimed. And so whatever we're at risk for, we're, we're willing to lose it. We're just going to keep moving forward. And in this church, you've got Jews and Gentiles and rich and poor together, which in every culture, you don't need me to tell you, you throw enough differences together and how often is strife the result. And yet Paul's not playing it safe. This church isn't playing it safe because, because when unity and love are on display despite all this, the spotlight is on the transforming effect of the gospel and that's all they want people to see. So gospel ministry does not play it safe, but it takes risks, and oftentimes it gets hurt, and as it is hurting, it just jumps back in again. Because gospel recognizes that, man, building relationships are wonderful, but they're risky because you get hurt. But there's a fruit and a reward beyond the hurt, beyond the risk. So gospel ministry takes risks. Fourth, we see this. That gospel ministry brings unity. Gospel ministry brings unity. So what's the result of all this risk in the church? Is the final word, even, even through the pain, is, is, is hurt sort of the, the lingering theme of what happened in this church? No, it, it's, not the, it's there, but it's, it's not the final word. There's all these barriers that the church faces. So, so is the final word lost? No, there's loss through this church, but that's not the final word. What's the result of, of the gospel breaking all these barriers? It's gospel unity. We see really, in even this brief snapshot, that, that these people and these churches have, have really nothing in common except for one thing. But in that one thing they hold in common, they hold everything in common. And so when we talk of unity, we don't mean a lack of differences or a lack of perspectives or, you know, okay, we all, you know, we have different backgrounds, we have different testimonies. A unity is not a lack of different preferences for how we do things. Unity is not, you know, boy, I kind of wish we did things a little bit more this way. No, no, unity, it's this love that just cuts through all these other things. So it's this unity that, that we are one despite all that in a worldly sense divides us. Now, I want to be clear, at some level, unity is, is not sort of 
unusual in the world today, right? I mean, you go to any, any, you know, any game, right? And you're just going to see an arena full of people all wearing the same jersey, all wearing the same colors, all, all rooting for the same thing. They, they have a common love. You know, the sphere of politics, you listen to a politician, like when, they're, you know, when you're at a political rally, they, they all have, you know, sort of, they have a unity together. Either that they like the person that they're hearing speak or at least they all dislike the same person together, right? You have this unity. People have a unit, you know, find unity in music or what school they went to or what movies they like. And we can go on and on, right? It's not unusual for, for people to feel a sense of unity with one another. So it's not, it's not strange that to, to have sort of a, a group of people experiencing unity in some way, but the unity and love built on the gospel is very different. See, human unity, sort of the unity of these external things, the unity of a sports team or a a band, or it, it's, all a, all, it's, it's all these people loving the same thing. And it's sort of we all have this common love, and it helps us appreciate and find value and identity in this one external thing that we all like. And it doesn't really take relational risk because it, it's really building our relationships around well, we have a common love, we have a common purpose, we all like this one thing together, so it's all good. And it lasts as long as we all love this common team or you know, celebrity or politician or whatever it would be, but it's about this sort of us loving something external to us and us having this common love together. But gospel unity is, is, is not primarily about what we love. It's primarily about God's love being poured into us and transforming us and changing us and making us new and giving us a new identity and a new hope and a new future and a new set of eyes to see the world with. And that being poured into us so much that it just eventually flows out of us. And out of that overflow of love that is being poured into us, it doesn't say that there are no differences or that these differences don't matter or that I won't get hurt or that it's, I won't take a risk, but, but that something is being poured into us that is so powerful and so transformative that it makes the risk worth it. And it makes getting bruised worth it. And it makes human differences not not incidental, but, but secondary. And diversity happens because all these human differences are seen as secondary to my one true full identity in Jesus Christ. And so there is this group of people who have completely different realities in life with a deep love and affection and unity because the one thing they hold in common is more powerful than everything else that would be around them. So, genuine gospel ministry produces gen, genuine gospel fruit. The fifth thing we see here, the fifth fruit we see here is gospel ministry brings humility. Gospel ministry brings humility. I was, a number of years ago, um, yeah, in case you didn't know, I'm kind of a nerd. I was listening to uh, somebody, when, it, when, when, when one of the Star Wars came out, I don't even remember which one, but one, one of the new Star Wars came out. And they were doing this kind of actors roundtable, you know, of, of people talking about their different roles. So if, in case you're not familiar with Star Wars, um, I'm just kidding, if you're not familiar with Star Wars, um, that, that's odd to me at this point. It's a popular movie franchise. It takes place in space, a lot of shooting. Um, <laughs> and um, uh, it, they just print money at this point. I mean, just basically if you put the Star Wars logo on it, like you can just sell it for whatever you want and make a ton of money. So anyway, there's... One of the new movies was coming out, and uh, the, all these actors were talking about it, but there was this one actor who, and I don't remember his name, 
but he was talking about, you know, his, his role, and he, he was one of these guys who he had, you know, a number of scenes cut at the end, so he thought he was going to have, you know, he didn't think he was going to be the, you know, the star of it, but he was, you know, going to have a little bit bigger role, but they ended up cutting it, so he was just in, like, a few scenes and didn't, ended up kind of just being very incidental to the movie, and, and so this guy's dad was really upset, you know, at the premiere, he, he brought his dad, and his dad was all upset, and he's like, son, I need to go talk to the director, you know, let him know, you know, that you, know, you should have been in this more, you know, and all this kind of stuff, and Wisely, he just kind of headed him off. But he's like, Dad, I, I got to be in, like, the most famous movie in all of history. Like, I'm good. Like, I feel like I, you know, he didn't do me wrong. Like, I, I got to be in this at all. Like, I'm, I'm not really complaining about, I'd like one more scene. And there's something of, of this attitude of, of just not really being so concerned about the part you play, but, but what you play a part in that I just absolutely loved when I, when I heard it. And in so many ways, I think that's what this passage is, is all about. It's that the gospel is making progress. The gospel is growing people. It's changing people. The gospel's on the move. The church is on the move. But here's this list that Paul gives of, here's who humanly is at work here. Like, these, this is not sort of in the, you know, the, the hall of fame characters of, you know, who, who are the big movers in the early church? And that's not it. I mean, you got Paul, but there's like, there, there's no Billy Graham here. There's no Sproul here. There's, you know, whatever name you want to name of sort of who are the big people in church history, like none of them are listed here. You got Tychicus. What's it say of him? That he's a beloved brother, faithful minister. He's a fellow servant. Earlier in the book, we see that he had the gift of encouragement. That's about all we know. You've got Onimaeus. You got, he, he is, what, what, how is he marked? He is faithful and he is beloved. He's got no possessions. He's got no rights. He's got no inheritance under Roman law. But that's who's building the church. You have Aristocharis, who is in jail with Paul. Don't know much, but context would say he was likely in for the same crime as Paul. And what was, what was his crime was fearlessly proclaiming the gospel. So here's Here's what we have recorded of him. We don't know how proficient his gifts were. We don't really know sort of what he was good at, sort of like on the scale of one to ten. You know, was he just this, you know, was he the most brilliant preacher you've ever heard in your life? We, we have no idea. We know that he loves Jesus so much he was willing to be behind bars for his sake, which is an amazing thing to be known for. And on and on, he just lists person after per person. They're just described as fellow servants, fellow soldiers, comfort to Paul. Those who opened up their home and just did very ordinary things. Who it's just a group of folks outside of the inclusion in some of Paul's letters would just be completely lost in history, lost in obscurity, just not even a footnote in the history of church. But I suspect if you ask them then, and I am certain if you ask them now, listen, my, my name's not known, my gifts aren't known, my role's not known, but the gospel advanced every one of them would say, yeah, that's, that's what matters. Because the gospel produces a humility. It produces men and women who are not concerned for their name on the marquee or their role or their reputation, but that, are, but that others are impacted by the ministry of the gospel is all they care about. And may it be that one day when and since the letter is read and the story is told of Living Hope Church, may, may this be true of us, that 
the name of Jesus Christ and the effect of the gospel, that, that's what was proclaimed and celebrated and lived for and labored for and whatever role we play, that we're just glad we could be part of the bigger story that God was at work with. Again, the main point is that genuine gospel ministry produces genuine gospel fruit. For anyone here who is with us this morning and doesn't have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, or maybe you're exploring that, maybe you're like, that. Yeah, what, what does that mean? And I, th- thank you for being here and glad that you're exploring that with us as a church. And, you know, I've been using the word gospel a lot, right? I've been, it's kind of, probably every other word this message, you know, has been the word gospel and talking of the work of the gospel, talking of the fruit of the gospel, but I, but I haven't really defined what it is. And so I want to be clear as to what the gospel is because because I think it's a right it's a church word that we hear and you can think, oh, you know, that that's a great word and boy, I love that it brings humility and it brings love and diversity and it changes us and boy, that that that's great. But honestly, there's there's a lot of like you can go to any bookstore, you can buy a lot of self-help books that promise to do the same thing, that promise to sort of transform you and change you and sort of whatever it would be. But whatever you can buy out there in the world, whatever they, they would promise you, just know that they, they can't actually follow through on the promise. And at best, you can read some of these things and you can get some new habits, but nothing external to us can actually change our heart. So the gospel is not something that we do. It's not something we create. It's not something even that we sort of, sort of, that we, we sort of put on ourselves. But the gospel is what God has done for us. The gospel is that Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect life. He fully obeyed God in, in everything he did. And then he died for our sins and he rose again. And, now, and then he ascended into heaven where he now is and he reigns and he is ruling all things. And all who hope in what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, all who trust in him, all who repent of their sins, which means feel sorrow for their sins and turn to Jesus Christ, not those who live perfectly, not those who sort of do enough things for God, but those who who confess that they are sinners and trust that Jesus Christ is their salvation, are forgiven and are saved and are adopted and are given the Holy Spirit so that they are being transformed and will one day be with him for all eternity. And Jesus Christ is our only hope, and Jesus Christ is our sure hope. And so the gospel is a call to trust in Jesus Christ. So what we're talking about as a church, of all the things that gospel ministry is to do, it's, none of these things are what we do, but what God has done for us, and now we proclaim to one another and what you are now being offered if you've never received him as your Lord and Savior. But for all of us who are here this morning, I think application really is, is relatively simple. Where, where we see this evident in our church, where we see this evident in our life, where we see these fruits of gospel ministry of bringing diversity and taking risks and, 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 and all these things of, of just of bringing humility where you see it in Living Hope Church, where you see it in your life, just rejoice because that's not just something that just sort of happens by chance. It happens because the gospel ministry is at work because God is transforming his people. So let us be those who, who, who rejoice and let us be those who keep building this kind of church 
the kind of church that is just increasingly transformed by the gospel. Listen, here, here's the thing. Like, as, as we keep laboring together, as we keep building relationships together, listen, fr- friends, friends don't produce change. The gospel is what produces change. Listen, good programs as a church don't, don't produce change and doesn't bring growth. The gospel is what produces change and brings growth. A, a pastor isn't what overcomes barriers. Jesus Christ is the one who overcomes barriers. So let's be a church that takes risks and let's be willing, even as we are being stepped on, to keep pressing into relationships. Let's build a church where we don't define unity as primarily looking like one another, but we define unity as all of us trying, though we are very different and we look very different. We are all trying not to look like one another, but to look like Jesus Christ. And so let's continue to walk in unity and love and humility and trust that as we proclaim the gospel, as we labor for the gospel, as we Teach those who are in the back of this room right now the gospel as we build our fellowship around the gospel that the gospel will bear fruit in our lives and in this church and in this community we are looking to labor for because genuine gospel ministry produces genuine gospel fruit. Let's pray. Father, would you continue to work in this church to see the type of fruit that we have seen outlined in in this letter. Lord, will we be a church that that takes risks relationally, that that takes good gospel risks, that would be those who would be hurt, but yet willing to continue to serve and to press into relationships. Lord, will we be would we increasingly see diversity in our midst? Would we see unity in our midst? Would we see humility in our midst? So will we be those that get to experience this, not because we, we are just putting on these things, but because what Jesus Christ has done for us just continues to transform us day by day by day. So would you be pleased to continue to build this type of transformed community right here, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.